Bayern vs Barca's bubble, Liverpool get a much-needed win, Haaland does it again, and what about this Premier League All-Stars idea? I'm Dan Burke, this is the One Football Podcast, and I'm joined today by Matt Froelich. Good afternoon. With a mouthful of cookies, and Chloe Beresford. <laughs> Hello. I've paused Hello. the cookie eating, okay? I've put them away for Oh, now. thanks. That's very kind <laughs> of you, Matt. <laughs> and you're not even sharing them with us, I mean, it probably wouldn't be possible, really, but uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're not that far along in the metaverse just yet. <laughs> not just yet. How are we all doing? Is the is the weekend treating as well? The week, should I say? The weekend's almost here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds I, like it. I've I've been I've been good. I received a message from my friend who said, um, I can't believe you're back on the podcast because you're always on holiday. And I was like, Oh, that's a bit cheeky. <laughs> and then he started firing shots at uh um uh, at Coventry City. He said, You're like Coventry, always away. I was like, oh, that was unnecessary. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what does that mean, that joke? I've never really understood that. Well, is it is they're always away from pitch? home because they've always got stadium issues. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. I got you, I got you. They yeah. had something wrong with their <laughs> pitch, didn't they, as well? Yeah, it was awful. Yeah, right? I remember yeah. Nearly as bad the, as the Bernabeu pitch. Yeah. <laughs> <The> lot, <laughs> I seem to remember the Coventry were playing at Northampton for a while at Sixfields, but that could have been years ago. Maybe I'm not so uh, up to date with what's going on at Coventry City. Hardly yeah, the burn though. I thought it was something to do with the old uh, sent to Coventry phrase, which I've never really understood what that meant either. But never mind. Maybe people can write in and tell us. And if you want to write in, that was a nice segue, wasn't it? <laughs> the email address to do so is podcast at whatfootball.com. Uh, we'd love you to get in touch with any questions or comments or queries or complaints that you have about the podcast this year. Uh, you can also tweet us. I'm at Fussball Dan. Matt is at Matt underscore Froelich still. And you can tweet Chloe as well. What's your at on Twitter, Chloe? It's at Chloe J. Beresford. There we go. Well, we've got loads to get through. Uh, it's been a busy week of Champions League football. We're going to start with Bayern Munich's 2-0 victory over Barcelona on Tuesday night. Uh, Chloe, um, what did you make of, of Robert Lewandowski's lack of impact in this game? It was uh, you know, it was billed as the big reunion. Um, he missed a great chance in the first half. Do you think it's maybe a case of uh, Bayern's defenders knowing him a bit too well and knowing how to how to nullify him a bit? It could well be, couldn't it? I think when these occasions are really massively hyped, there's often a, a disappointment, isn't there? There's often <clears throat> the big name doesn't quite manage to do what <laughs> what is built up as. But yeah, yeah, maybe. Maybe they knew him. Maybe it was all a bit much after having spent so long at, at Bayern. And yeah, maybe it was just an off day. Maybe it was nothing to do with all that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I thought it was going to be a similar kind of story for uh, for Erling Haaland on Wednesday night. We'll come to that in a little bit. But uh, obviously he did get on the score sheet in the end. Uh, Julian Nagelsmann was, was coming under a bit of pressure before this game, Matt. You know, Bayern had drawn three games in a row. We talked about their worst start to a Bundesliga season for 12 years. Do you think this was a massive win, a massive kind of statement from them? Uh, yeah, twofold. Firstly, because of that, what they've done in the Bundesliga in the past couple of weeks. Um, not that I think they'll be panicking internally, but secondly, because I mean, we were speaking about it before. Barcelona really seem rejuvenated, right? They're, they're putting together their first uh, La Liga title run in a few years. There's been loads of new players in the summer. Lewandowski's on fire, this, that, and the other. So for Bayern to shut them down, keep a clean sheet and win the game, just not that anyone was doubting it, but kind of still confirms that, hey, we're still here. We're still favourites for a Champions League run or one of the favourites. Um, so, yeah, it was more of a message as well rather than just a 2-0 victory. So, I, 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 like, I, like I said, I wouldn't say there's massive pressure on Nagelsmann, but you, you never really know with Bayern Munich because winning games or even winning the Bundesliga isn't enough. And it becomes a lot more imperative what they do in the Champions League. So yeah, that was a that was a huge win for him. 
Mm. I was making a few notes during this game, actually, for the podcast. And at halftime, I'd kind of written, you know, uh, Bayern look out of sorts. They're really missing Lewandowski. They're really missing that cutting edge at front. It's not really sort of clicked with Sadio Mane yet, it seems. They're not playing particularly well. And it was a, it was a real game of two halves. The second half, Bayern really dominated. Barca were excellent in the first half. I thought not so good in the second half. How do you think uh, Barca should feel about that, Chloe? Do you think they'll, they'll take a bit of confidence from the fact that they did play so well for much of the game or a bit of disappointment that it, uh, they didn't get the result they wanted? I think Javi said, didn't he, that, um, that he, he, despite the despite the result that he thought that they'd played really well. And I think that they will they will take that from the game and, and use that to build on because in these Champions League groups, it's it's not necessarily the matches against the other favourite side that really matter, is it? It's getting a result against mm. the lower sides and making sure, like that for Barcelona's point of view, that they can go through along with Bayern. So I don't think... Um, Whilst obviously it's disappointing to lose, I don't think they'll be too disheartened because, like you say, of that first half performance. I think um, that's far more of far more important to take something away than necessarily the three points. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was a great chance for Pedri at 2-0, I thought. He, he was trying to be a bit too clever with it, a bit too cute. He kind of tried to dink it past the goalkeeper. Like, you score that goal and it's game on then. It would have been 2-1 and... I thought you've got to score those goals. So maybe, I mean, they're still quite a young team, aren't they, Barca? A lot of, lot of young players like him and Gavi. And I think they are definitely growing uh, and getting better all the time. And uh, maybe it'll be a, a much uh, better result for them when they take on Bayern Munich in Camp Nou in a few weeks. Uh, there's a great goal from Leroy Sané in this game for, for Bayern Munich. Uh, he was substituted late in the game after I thought he'd had a great game. And like I say, scored a great goal. Threw his water bottle down to the ground in frustration. Um, I, was, I was like, "What's that about?" And he said afterwards that he he wasn't unhappy that he'd been taken off, but he was he was unhappy with his performance. Has he been a bit harsh on himself there? Do you think, Matt? Oh yeah. I mean, it's easy to say no. He's not being uh, sorry. He is being harsh on himself because he scored. But I don't know. Maybe internally he felt he could have done a few things better. I'm not quite sure what's better than scoring a goal and helping your side to a tuna victory over Barcelona but he obviously <laughs> fancies himself to be a better player than than what he is I I've always think maybe there's a little bit um, of annoyance about being taken off um, I've just seen that he's only completed the 90 minutes twice this season um, and he, he's right. constantly taken off um, towards the end of most games um, so yeah who knows maybe he's a little bit annoyed maybe he wants to complete the games more often um, but he's not exactly in a position to call those shots just yet. So maybe yeah. it was a mix of both. Isn't it a sign of like an elite mindset if you constantly sort of striving for more and, you, you know, you're at a, a great club and you, you want to live up to the standards that you set for yourself? You know, I, I think that constant striving for improvement, if he didn't hit what he wanted to hit, then, um, you know, he may have he may have felt disappointed but by himself kind of thing yeah I mean, if it was me, I would be, you know, if I'd scored a goal like that in the Champions League and helped my team win the game and there's 10 minutes to go and I see my number go up, I'd be like, great, I'll come off and get a standard ovation, sit on the bench, have a nice rest and, <laughs> you know, enjoy my night's work. But that's why yeah. I'm not a professional footballer, I guess. That's why I, uh, you know, I'm sitting here talking bollocks on a podcast and uh, he's striving. Perf- I mean, it must be bloody exhausting if you're constantly striving for perfection and, you know, constantly seeing room for improvement. But yeah, maybe it's a lesson for us all. I don't know. That's what I do after the podcast, Dan. I just go out, I clap everyone <laughs> in the office so they go home early. <laughs> <laughs> you should get a standing ovation after the podcast, I think, Matt. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. I'll, I'll clap myself out of the office. <laughs> 
Yeah, moving on now. And uh, and Liverpool, they got a uh, much-needed 2-1 win over Ajax on Tuesday night at Anfield. Uh, Joel Matip's uh, header just crossing the line and, and winning the game for them late on. Uh, there was a big inquest into Liverpool's performance away at Napoli last week. Um, you know, we were talking on the podcast about how it's time to maybe start worrying about Liverpool. Maybe this isn't just a blip for them. Do you think this result heals a lot of those problems for them, Chloe? Do you think they can uh, they can stop worrying a bit now or do those problems still persist? Um, I don't think they can stop worrying. I think um, obviously it was uh, a last minute winner. A win's a win and obviously that's great and that's um, they can they can use that as a springboard now. But I think there are clearly still some issues there to, to sort out. And uh, I think to stop worrying completely might be a little bit premature. Um, but obviously that that win is a is a, a massive boost and they they needed it so so badly and when you set the bar as high as Liverpool have done you can't afford to lose too many otherwise you're too far behind to make that gap up so um yes the result was important but don't get carried away I would say mm. what about you Matt do you believe that this is a, a problem for Liverpool a big worry for them this this some of the results they've had so far or is it just the case of them starting the season a bit slowly and they'll they'll find their feet and, and get into it soon enough? Um, yeah, you could say they started, it is a bit of a worry, but I think if someone was mentioning the other day that the classic cliche of a Champions League hangover, like after losing <laughs> the final, and uh, I can only relate that to Tottenham whose hangover was so bad they ended up <laughs> sacking their manager uh, a few months into the season. <laughs> I don't quite think it'll reach that for Jurgen Klopp, um, but it's definitely more than just a blip. There are some wrongs that he needs to be writing on the training pitch. I thought, again, I look, I don't want to completely just sort of jump on the bandwagon and kill Trent Alexander-Arnold, but I didn't think he was as good as he has been in previous years. And maybe he's going through a bad uh, bad run of form. Um, I wouldn't say that a win solves it, although. I wouldn't expect them to sort of, you know, waltz into their next game and think, oh, everything's <laughs> all right, we're Liverpool of old. Like, no, they've, they're still a long way to go before they reach... The heights that they've reached and also before they, you know, reach the heights that Manchester City look like they're inevitably going to be setting throughout the rest of the season. Um, and who knows, maybe maybe this is a little bit of a victim of their own success. I mean, ha- it had happened at some stage. How long were they going to continue being absolutely brilliant for? We've seen it for three or four years now. Eventually, it's going to come down. Though Probably a time we'll be sat here discussing City having done the same, but... <laughs> well, I mean, for Liverpool, it's three or four years apart from the pandemic season when they were pretty bad, weren't they? And, uh, you know, mm. sc- struggled to finish in the top four at the end. So they have been a little bit up and down in that time. But I, t- I take your point. Yeah. And uh, I think they'll be fine, personally. I'm, uh, you know, yeah. still worried about them as, as City's kind of main title throughout the season. I still think they'll they'll find the feet eventually and kind of work things out. And, uh, you know, they've got Thiago coming back into the team now. I think he's he's really important. Is he maybe their most important player, Chloe, at this moment in time? Yeah, I think so. I think their midfielders struggled without him so much. I mean, they brought in Artur from Juventus, but I think they basically admitted that he wasn't, Klopp basically admitted that he wasn't their first choice. So um, without him, they just look a different team. It's like the the midfield for Klopp's system is like the engine, isn't it? And and without Mm. Thiago in there, it looks so flat and so kind of lifeless and and when he played against Ajax they they immediately looked more like themselves more high tempo moving the ball more quickly um 
so yeah, I think there's there's not much doubt really of how essential he is uh, to Klopp's side. Yeah. Yeah, he was even trying to control the tempo of the crowd where he was being subbed, trying to get them to sing louder and say that. the Ajax fans were out singing them. It was good, that, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and uh, and Ajax, I thought, you know, pretty impressive here. Perhaps a little bit unfortunate to lose. I think Liverpool did control the game for the most part. How do you think they keep doing it, Matt? You know, they're, they're a selling club. They kind of have to be. They, they, they get assets stripped pretty much every summer. All the best players are leaving. You know, they lost Anthony, uh, Sebastian Allaire, uh, Ryan Gravenberch. Lissandro this season, uh, this summer, they, they lost the coach. Uh, they've got Alfred Schroeder in. How do you think they keep regenerating? That'd be there's so many facets of it. And it, it's obvious to say they take this money that they make from selling on young players and, you know, pump it back into the academy, into the coaching and their style of football. I also think that it's a pathway into the first team in the same way that Dortmund do. Players develop a certain way knowing they're going to get their opportunities and knowing at young ages they're blooded into the first team and this gives them really really good experience so by the time they get to 22 23 you know they can be worth a crazy amount of money um, and that all comes from their scouting from identifying um sort of hotbeds of football and you know where they can buy for cheap and sell on for more because not every single player that comes to or they sell on is from the academy you know it's just the way of planning ahead and buying players perfect for their system um and i think the final point is look i enjoy eredivisie football i think it's some brilliant <laughs> players i do think there is a case of they're allowed to i wouldn't say make mistakes they're basically they've got a bit of leeway right if united mm. or city suddenly went you know what we're going to try a few youngsters some of them might be good, some of them might be bad, results might suffer. Um, they'll get absolutely caned week in, week out, kiss goodbye to top four because the competitiveness is ridiculous in the Premier League. Whereas when it comes to Ajax, obviously we know the likes of PSV are up there as well, had a brilliant start to the season. Um, it's sort of like they can risk having a poor game and still win. They can risk yeah. maybe you know playing a few youngsters who make these mistakes, then get better because of them and they won't be too far off the title race. They can still hang in there whilst having this balancing act of giving untried players first team action to make mistakes because, yeah, like I said, if that happens in the Premier League right, and United or whoever play youngsters, you could find yourselves, I don't know, six points behind in the title race and that could be yeah. massive if you're trying to catch Man City. There was a shock result for Tottenham on Tuesday night. They lost 2-0 away at Sporting. Uh, what happened to, to Spurs here, Matt? It's a bit of a, a bump in the road for them, I guess. Uh, yeah, well, it was the first defeat in any competition since April. Um, exactly. Rather disappointing. I think the problem was that Spurs have been playing poor all season, to be honest with you. And eventually they were going to get found out somehow. And it just so happened that it came in the last few minutes against Sporting. The, to me, <laughs> the, the big worry for Spurs was they looked so tired. They looked absolutely knackered. And uh, yeah. yeah, that's a bit of a worry considering we're about, what, eight games into a season. Yeah, I mean, I thought that about City last night as well, actually. It was surprising that, you know, having had the game called off at the weekend, do you think, if anything, they'd be fresh? Do you think maybe a bit of rhythm is what was lacking? For Spurs this in this game, yeah, I I, I think some rhythm, but also the the rotation from Antonio Conte is a bit bizarre. He he spoke mm. a lot in the summer about the need for squad depth, and now there's five substitutes as an official rule in football, um, and then barely uses substitutes. I think Ryan Sessegnon got about one minute um, or, or two minutes. Kulazewski's been dropped completely. You know, is getting the odd bit at the end of a game. Um, 
Son isn't being changed out, even though he's been on really, really poor form at the beginning of the season. So I don't quite know what the line is between poor form or being tired or whatever reason Conte doesn't really want to rotate. Um, mm. But yeah, like it was obviously it was a sucker punch. But I feel like Tottenham played straight into Sporting's hands. They they rode the wave, they rode the Tottenham Tottenham attacks, and then at the end, you know, you can't switch off. You it's, again, I'm pulling out all the football cliches, but you've got to play for <laughs> ninety minutes. You can't just play for eighty nine. Yeah. yeah. Do you think uh, maybe Son needs to be dropped to the bench at some point? He's not scored yes. this, yet this season, has he? Yeah, yeah. Son needs to be. It, it's it's not like a, a punishment. Oh, you've been rubbish. You haven't scored. Get on the bench. It's more a sort of we've got other players who can do a job. Like this is a team effort throughout the season. If if Son was to you know never score again this season, but Tottenham were to win a trophy, that should still be a very successful season. I. I I'm not sure I quite believe in this playing him back into form. You know, maybe a right, break's yeah. good for him. Maybe it's good for someone else to get more more game time. Um, and I'd like to see Richarlison switched over to the left-hand side. I think he's a bit more natural cutting inside and then give the right the right wing spot to Kulazewski. Yeah, yeah. What did you make of uh, Marcus Edwards' performance against his old club? A lot, of, uh, a lot of talk about him. Do you think he's got a bright future ahead of him? Uh, I was very impressed. I, I Look, he obviously was a good youngster. There was a lot of hype about him, and I know Pochettino sort of condemned him with these mini Messi um, comparisons. <laughs> yeah. I thought he was a good player, and he went to Vitoria in Portugal and obviously did well enough. I, did, I, I must admit, I didn't think I watched many of their games, one or two in the Europa League. Um, they obviously did well enough for Sporting to decide to sign him, and I thought, is this you know going to be quite a big step up to the Champions League? And he looked right at home. He was brilliant against Frankfurt in the first game with the goal and an assist. And yeah, he really looked full of confidence. So I don't see why not. If you're going to get yourself, if you're going to earn yourself a, you know, a silly money move to a big boy in Europe, then you might as well put some performances on in the Champions League. Um, so yeah, and he's 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 been doing it in the league as well. So I was very very impressed. He looked far more complete than I thought he would be. Yeah, he had that lovely the run term. in the first half, didn't he? When he uh, almost scored. Bit of a, I panicked. Almost like a bit of a quite. A f- I, <laughs> it was quite. It was quite a lucky save from Larissa. I thought actually, yeah. Yeah, it was. It was kind of a weird angle for him to save it. And I was like, you just, you're never going to hear the end of this if this goes in. So I, as much as I thought it was a brilliant run, deserved a goal, I was kind of happy to see it not go in. <laughs> uh, elsewhere, uh, Victoria Pilsen, they uh, were beaten 2-0 at home by Inter on Tuesday. Uh, Eddie Dzeko scored the opening goal for Inter here. Uh, I looked up, I was like, I'm sure he scored for City against Victoria Pilsen in 2013. He did, and it was almost nine years ago to the day that he scored. He's, what, 36 now, Chloe? How how much longer does Eddie Dzeko have at the top level? How does he keep going, do you think? Um, I think uh, he's just one of those players that kind of, I don't know, he just... He's doubted a lot um, and I must admit that I get frustrated sometimes by his playing style where he kind of has to miss <laughs> five times to score one goal. Um, but he's, <laughs> yeah, he's, I know that I feeling, he's yeah. just one of those players that, <laughs> yeah, but, um, but yeah, he's, he's one of those players I think that is going to, he's going to keep going because he doesn't run an awful lot shall we say because he's a typical number nine he stays in his position um and that experience that he does have even though he he is liable to quite a few misses he, he does he does hit the target as well and you can't really argue with that um so yeah pleased to see him get a champions league goal after a long time sort of not being in the competition being more of a europa league player 
Um, but he's he's been important to Inter and at least now they've got Lukaku back, he can kind of have more, once Lukaku is fit, he can have more of a sub role and, and just fill in as and when and, and not sort of spread himself too thin at, at his age. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I got the sense that uh, Simone Inzaghi was was coming under a little bit of pressure uh, before this game. Obviously, they, they lost the derby a few weeks ago. They've, uh, you know, lost out in the, on the Scudetto race last season. Do you think he he was under a bit of pressure, and is is it been eased by sort of recent results? Yeah, I think so. There's a lot of um, talk in the Italian papers of him being under pressure, and you know, they they have been poor, to be fair. Um, and I guess a a two nil win over Victoria Pilsen it's like it is good and it's great to get that result but they've got to stay in touch with the title race to really sort of um have have confidence in him um he's he's taken over from Conte which was a really hard act to follow um yeah and I think the he, he was a bit the same at Lazio where he sort of really impressed and then he just totally fell away when it mattered. And I think there are some nagging doubts. I wouldn't be surprised to see him fired this season, um, but he, he might pull it back. He might well pull it back. Yes, yes, let's see. Uh, in Group B, it's uh, it's a very tight group, that one. Very uh, open and interesting one. Uh, Club Brugia getting a, a big win away at Porto. Are they, uh, are they the official dark horses of the tournament now, Matt, do you think? Uh, I wouldn't go that far. Don't get me wrong. There's some, <laughs> some brilliant performances. Uh, a, a dark horse to win the Champions League would be a bit mad. But to get out of the group would be a really, really good campaign for them. Um, mm. Two wins out of two. And yeah, I was looking at the, uh, I, I was looking at the highlights of this match, and I was thinking, really, don't get me wrong, they were good and they were very, very clinical. But my God, Porto were bad. <laughs> I just don't know. I always assume that they're the best of. The three, I know, I know they win the title more often than not with the best of the, of, of the big three in Portugal. But yeah, they, they looked absolutely shocking. Um, mm. And yeah, all all credit to Club Bruges as as, um, as it goes. And I thought the uh, the Spanish, what was his name? Ferran Yutkler, the one that I could not yep. pronounce and asked our, <laughs> asked our Spanish helpers here to, to help me pronounce that one, was really, really good. Um, and yeah, it's, you know... I guess it'll be an interesting season for them. I can already see them draw Manchester City in the last 16. It's just <laughs> it's just the most Manchester City tie ever, isn't it? You get to the last That's 16 true, and you end yeah. up playing like the dark horses. That is it's happening. You might well be right there. Let's uh, let's uh, let's wait and see what happens there. Yeah, we played them in the group stage last year and, and played play pretty well against them, so that uh, that'd be quite mm. a nice draw. Uh, we've all seen that uh, that penalty incident or non-penalty incident in the uh, Atletico Madrid uh, by Leverkusen game. How the hell was that not a penalty, Chloe? I have no idea. He's literally like bats it <laughs> down onto the ground, doesn't he? Totally, it totally changes yeah. the direction of the ball. So how could you how could you not see? that he touched it with his hand because he couldn't have done anything else, really. It was very strange. And especially with VAR, you think, you know, that's 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 got to be a penalty. And now we, they're supposedly as the tools to make sure these sort of things don't happen. So baffling to me, that one. Yeah, yeah. Are you sensing a backlash against VAR, Matt? Like, uh, you know, this seems to be... There was a big controversy in, in Italy at the weekend. <laughs> I mean, yeah, is this is this the biggest backlash so far? It seems like because we were talking a few weeks ago about it, the problems with it in the Premier League, and we were saying, oh, but you know, on the continent in the Champions League, they seem to be using it right most of the time. It seems to be much better, but you know, recent events have uh, have belied that opinion. I think. 
Yeah, I I remember looking at the Juventus one for the weekend. We didn't actually mention it on Monday's podcast. I thought about it afterwards. I was like, shit, I've forgotten something. Mm. Um, th- that was absolutely crazy whether the offside uh, was given. Maybe there's a few more... Um, there's a few more mistakes until people start really, you know, putting a petition out there or getting it scrapped. I just think there's no way of going back now, really. I mean, the people could abuse VAR or they want, and some people say, well, you know, it's just the rules that aren't in place correctly, like when it comes to the handballs. Um, but yeah, if you scrapped VAR, you'd have the first game back. Someone would have been like, oh, if VAR was here, that would have been given offside. <laughs> and you're just going to have counter complaints yeah. to what we've seen now. Yeah. So I don't think there's a way of going back. So we'll just have to learn to live with it. People are essentially never happy, are they? Yeah. Maybe we should split football into two. The people who want VAR can go and watch that version of the sport. And the people who want non-VAR, you know, like rugby league and rugby union, that's maybe that's the way to go. Yeah. yeah. Satisfy everybody. Yeah. Oh, we don't have VAR. We don't have VAR in League Two. That's true. Yeah. And is it, be- is it a better experience for it? Um, no, it's still frustrating because you think, well, if that, if we had VAR, that would have got checked. So it, it's frustrating mm. either way, I think. It's maybe better to try and get VAR yeah. right than go backwards, I would say. Yeah, yeah. What's happening with that uh, Juventus-Salernitana one, Chloe? Because there was I saw some talk yesterday that Salernitana had offered to replay the match, have they? They did, they did. Um, I think largely because for most of the game, they totally outplayed Juventus. <laughs> um, and they were 2-0 mm, up yeah. until the very end. So they probably fancied their chances for another go. Um, but yeah, I, I guess it was it was fair enough, really, because um, it, it it has been proved that Kondreva was right on the goal line. He he was playing everyone on side, um, but apparently they don't yeah. have a camera that covers that bit, which is seems crazy <laughs> that 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 they could really? have a system, but you can't see right by the corner flag. I think everybody should mm. just have um, a yeah. have someone hide there. <laughs> yeah, that's a great idea, actually. Yeah, yeah. Like the uh, that'll be the new development. Like the uh, the, the draft excluder in the wall. Now you've got someone who just st- stands by the corner flag every time a corner's taken. Yeah, good shout. Yeah, exactly. Moving on now to Wednesday's action, and Graham Potter got his uh, his first game in charge of Chelsea. It ended in a one-one draw with Salzburg. Bit of a disappointing result for them. Um, do you think it's a bit too soon to judge Potter though, Matt? You know, he's only been there a few days. I mean. Uh, I thought his haircut and his suit really looked the part for a new job. That's a man who's really moving up in the world, isn't it? He did. That's exactly what I was thinking. He was thinking, right, I've got to be serious now. Not that the Brighton job wasn't <laughs> serious, but maybe there are no good barbers there. I know for a fact London's got plenty <laughs> of good barbers. So I'm sure I'm sure he went to Chelsea's finest on the King's Road and was like, I need something that screams I'm going to be a success at my new football club. And they were like, I've got <laughs> yeah. you, boss. I've got you. And then he went to Drew. No, it's way too soon to judge Potter. I'll leave that line. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't see the game live, um, but I read some comments from Chelsea fans. Uh, and they kind of weren't too happy with the performance, really. I think a lot of them are a little bit mm. sore about the Tuckle sacking and and haven't really warmed to Potter as the appointment yet, which I don't know. It's a little bit strange to me. If it was me, I'd probably be, I'd probably be quite, up, quite happy about it and, and quite behind him. But I think the team selection was... Uh, a little bit strange from some Chelsea fans' point of view, particularly picking Thiago Silva and Aspilicueta. Was that a big mistake, do you think, Chloe? Um, well, I don't, I don't know, really. I think I think that it was kind of fair enough for Potter's first game. He'd not had very long and he'd had like massive, intense media scrutiny to deal with up to then. Um, I think playing... Uh, Reese James slight, slightly further forward seemed to work well from what I saw. Um, 
But yeah, I, I don't think, I, th- I think maybe like you say, there may be still hurting from what happened and and still you know maybe a little bit suspicious of a guy that's come down from a kind of a lower club and and Mm. moving up and so everything that he does is going to get scrutinized so closely by them isn't isn't it like they're they're probably waiting for him to to make a mistake and then to say oh you know Chelsea's owners were were wrong to do what they did or so yeah, I think he's he is going to have to prove himself. He is going to have to prove that he's as good as people think that he is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, I mean, I, th- I think a lot of people who will, will have watched Brighton play will have been kind of used to the way that Potter sets his teams up. But it perhaps looks a little bit strange for for Chelsea fans. They started with what looked yeah. like a back four, Matt, with uh, with um, Raheem Sterling playing as kind of a wing back, possibly or. I mean, I saw a, a graphic that showed his average position. He was basically playing as left winger, but on paper it looked like a, a back back five, maybe, or a back, I don't know, a back four. Like, do you have any theories on yeah. what the actual formation was? <laughs> well, it, it was a bit odd because a back four would then imply that Thiago Silva and Azpilicueta were the centre backs. Yeah, and I just think Azpilicueta as a as a right centre back of a back three, fine because he's kind of utilising different skills, half as a full-back, half as a centre-back. But as an actual centre-back partner, I think that would have been a little bit odd. Um, but yeah, well, when, when it comes to actually what Potter's been doing, it, it it makes no sense for Chelsea fans to expect Potter to turn, you know, to turn around and suddenly be brilliant at Chelsea because that's not what they've bought him in, not what they've bought him in for, but that's not what he's made his name on. If, if if but when he's at Brighton, everyone says, "Oh, he's done a brilliant job." You know, in in five years, he's taken them from X to X, and he's implemented this start of play. Well, if that's what he's done in the space of five years, that's what he's been bought in for. He hasn't been bought in to turn things around immediately because he doesn't do that at clubs. He comes in and he takes his time to implement the system and get the right players and, you know, get the team on his side. And I think that's the massive difference, obviously, between the top and the middle slash bottom half of the table is that results are are needed quicker. But you wouldn't buy a player who's been doing brilliant up until that point because of what he's done and then ask him to do something else. It would Mm. seem a bit counterproductive. So, yeah, anyone who's saying, oh, Potter needs to do this in his first season or be brilliant straight away. um, Why? When on earth has he done that throughout the rest of his career? He's, yeah, yeah. he's he's taken a while everywhere he's been. So that's obviously, I think it was a five-year deal that he was given. Um, mm. That's obviously the plan in the long run. So yeah, it was a little bit odd. I guess he's got to make do with, with the players he's got now up until the up until the January transfer window at least. I can't see him really pulling any strings. Um, sorry, calling any shots, you know, saying I'm demanding <laughs> this player. Um, but yeah, it's... it's the, the way that sort of the big the bigger fans the bigger teams maybe often look down on players or managers from the from the rest of the league is maybe doing them a bit of disservice I would say because yeah. there's been plenty of fantastic yeah. managers and coaches and players yeah. from there and yeah and a lot of a lot of the the leading managers you know started uh, at a pretty low level as well and worked their way up you know you yeah, exactly. came to Mainz to Dortmund and that kind of thing didn't he so uh, Guardiola probably the exception that his first job was Barcelona but uh, you know a lot of them have, <laughs> yeah. have to tread that path don't they yeah yeah it's a bit like what you said Matt about Ajax about the fact that at, at Brighton Potter's had the time and space to to implement his methods in a kind of a slow and steady pace but now it's just like 
oh, you drew 1-1 with Salzburg, you know, in your first game. Like, oh, yeah. I'm not sure about this guy. It's a different kind of pressure. I saw a lot of Chelsea fans afterwards uh, complain a little bit about, about Aubameyang, saying that he was kind of getting in people's way and doesn't really seem to have synced properly yet. And a few of them were calling for Armando Broja to start the next game. I think he came off the bench and had a pretty pretty big impact. Do you think he has a, uh, it's, it's time to give him a chance, Matt? Uh, it, it would really fit in with like the whole uh, Potter thing, you know, uh, bringing you through a young manager and bringing you through a young player at the same time could be a match made in heaven. So I don't see why not. He was really impressive, certainly in the first half of the season on loan at Southampton last year. Um, as for Bamiyang, I was talking about this with Lewis the other day, and he said that the problem with Bamiyang is he doesn't bring much to the game apart from finishing. He was standing mm. in the box of finish, that's absolutely fine. But I think... Potter side, especially we saw it with Welbeck, needs a bit more up front, and not necessarily re- relying um, as we you know as we saw with Brighton in the past couple of years on a on a twenty goal a season striker. They're not relying on a poacher. It's more about can a forward bring others into play and really work the opposition defence hard, so that the likes of you know they had uh, Trossard and they had Lalana, Pascal Gross, you know and McAllister. These players can they then provide the goals and the assists? And I think that's where Bamiyang may be letting Chelsea down somewhat. If Brozier doesn't score a goal, right, but he's linking up well with the, with the insane talent of Mount, of, of Havertz, of Pulisic, of Sterling, and they're the ones bagging the goals, fine. Jobs are good and doesn't really matter. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think maybe that could be the way forward for Chelsea. But having said that, it's, uh, you know, especially with their cursed number nine shirt, um, oh yeah, you know, or or just not having a, a top top striker for quite a while. It is quite a lot to put on Bro's shoulders, but who knows? Sometimes pressure maketh the man. Is yeah. that a phrase? Well, I mean, if it's not, it should be. It, it is now. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Credit me. Yeah, I mean, with Aubameyang, it's almost like don't buy a striker for a manager and then sack that manager a few days later. It's yeah, well, there's that too. Yeah. A bit too late for that now. Uh, Manchester City, they got a, a 2-1 win over Dortmund on Wednesday night. They were pretty poor City for the most part, um, at least for the first hour of the game. And, uh, and then Jude Bellingham put Dortmund in front. It was a bit of a wake-up call for City. And uh, they started playing a little bit better. Then they got back into the game with a, a brilliant goal from John Stones, Vincent Company-esque. Uh, a lot of people have been saying, but should the goalkeeper have done a bit better with that one, do you think, Chloe? Um, I've actually watched this one back again, and I think that Schlotterbeck is in the way of the keeper's uh, line of sight. So I think maybe he saw it too late, and then that made it look like he'd sort of made a mistake because he'd, he'd moved he'd move late on it. I don't think, I think that's a bit killjoy for me. I think we should. <laughs> I agree, yeah. I think you should let Stones have it because, you know, as a as a central defender, that's that's you know, is probably the the highlight of his year that. So let him have it. Let him have the fact that it was brilliant. Yeah, it's a brilliant strike and I, I guess, you know, if you hit the target then uh, you give the keeper something to think about and the ball's swerving all over the place as well, so it's going to make it difficult for the keeper. So uh yeah, yeah. I agree. Let him have it. Um Erling Haaland scored a pretty incredible goal to win the game as well. Um I mean, Matt, can you even imagine Another striker on the planet at the moment have the athleticism to reach that cross and convert it in like that. That was ridiculous. That was like prime Zlatan. It's probably yeah. it's probably now Zlatan as well. Uh, yeah, that was absolutely crazy. I, don't know, I feel like Zlatan's leg would snap off if he tried to do that at his age. Now, yeah. <laughs> no way. He's he's still got it. Um, it was such, it was such an outrageous cross as well. Um, it was just sort of 
I don't know, outside of the boot galore. I, I couldn't I couldn't imagine another striker doing that, no. And I think it just sort of typifies Haaland being the, the complete goal scorer, you know, able to score all sorts of goals because that was one type of goal that he hadn't quite scored yet. And I always tick mm. that off the list as well. Next is like a weak-footed bicycle kick from the halfway line. <laughs> and once he's done that, he's completed football. Yeah. Yeah, that cross from Cancelo was unreal as well. Oh he tries God. that... I'd say at least once a game, and sometimes it comes off. I mean, he did one for, for <laughs> Sterling last season that was really good as well. Um, he's sort of proven that like you don't need to have uh, a left foot to play at left back if you've got a good outside of your right foot, which is pretty incredible. <laughs> do you know what? Do you know what they call that in Portuguese? That skill. Um, can I guess what the translation is? I, I don't know what the translation is to be oh, honest, okay. but you can if you want. <laughs> uh, I was going to say something like outside banana or something terribly, terribly <laughs> cliche. I was going to say banana. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, it's called a travella, so I don't know if that means banana. Oh, I have heard that word. Yeah, yeah. As popularised by Portuguese player Ricardo Caresma, mostly. Uh, ah. He was the guy who was uh, famous for doing that, wasn't he? Yeah. I thought you were going to say Ricardo Travella, and I was like, well, of course. <laughs> that would make sense, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I don't know if it is it was, named after someone or what, but yeah. I, I would get it was a very quickly. Brazilian looking, wasn't it? Mm. I thought. it was. It was something like a... You'd see it from a Brazil national team, I thought, yeah. that kind of cross. I mean, it's kind of showboating, but also kind of not. I think it is just Cancelo's yeah. best way of getting the ball into the box from that position is with the outside of his right foot. So, Yeah, exactly. Point. I mean, Luka Modric more is a, is also a big... That's true, yeah, um, yeah. F- ...flag bearer of, of the Travella. But yeah, I thought that was sensational. Yeah. And I feel like Haaland, Matt, you know, City are still unbeaten this season. They've not been too mm. clever in, in a few games. You know, Aston Villa away uh, the other week was in the Premier League was quite poor. You know, Newcastle, uh, they came back into it. You know, even coming from behind to beat Crystal Palace, they needed Haaland's hat-trick there. Do you think he's he's masking some pretty average performances from City and, and that is kind of what they signed him for? Uh, I mean, yes and no. If he's still managing to get all of these goals and they're obviously doing something right to get him the ball in these mm. situations and then maybe not playing as badly as as badly as would suggest but that's kind of yeah that's what they've bought him for like for it's the striker's curse as well it's not just the team's curse you know if he has a crap game but scores everyone goes home happy if he has a brilliant game it doesn't find the back of the net there's questions so the same yeah. thing will be asked of the team as well you know if he, if he can mask them all he likes if he continues to mask them you know for the whole season then good on Manchester City that's what he's there for yeah yeah, I mean, City do have a tendency to take a little while to, to sort of warm up into a season. And I think like once that happens, if Haaland is then contributing goals as well, then you know they could be they could be pretty incredible. I, but, I uh, saw something the other day that it, it, if he keeps up with his current pace in the Premier League, which is what is it nine in five, he'll end the season on sixty three goals. <laughs> and the record the record for a thirty eight game season is thirty two with Salah, and I think the record for a forty two game season was Andy Cole with thirty four. Wow. I believe it was Andy Cole in ninety four or five. Yeah, it's it's uh it's thirteen and eight if you include the Champions League now as well. So thirteen pretty and mad. Eight. Blimey. Yeah. <laughs> uh Real Madrid weren't too clever on Wednesday night, but they did get a two 0 win over RB Leipzig. Um Fede Valverde getting on the score sheet again. We talked about him on the podcast the other day a little bit. Chloe, are you a big fan of his? Yeah, he looks exciting, doesn't he? And uh, I saw that Ancelotti was talking about him and singing his praises afterwards. So I think he'll be one that we see a lot more of from now on. Yeah, yeah. What Any theories on why the Bernabeu pitch was so bad, Matt? I heard some people say there was like, you know, a big heat wave recently and that kind of thing, but it, it looked pretty shit, didn't it? 
I don't know. Maybe they spent all their money on the stadium and forgot to spend money on the pitch. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I did. I did think that. I just. It looks really odd for like this stage of the season. You know, nice little autumn weather, prime prime mm. Champions League group stage action. That was a little bit odd. It was sort of a throwback to, uh, yeah, the sandy pitches of yesteryear. Do you remember when Chelsea yeah. did that at Stamford Bridge to stop Barcelona playing? They basically made it like a beach. <laughs> and, and I remember and Ronaldinho. Did they, yeah, I remember Chelsea having a game that they had to replay against Charlton. I think it was years. And years it ago. was Charlton. Was so yeah, yeah. Yes, I do. God. Yeah, come on. It's 2022. Real Madrid are the biggest club in the world with a brand new stadium underway. Get some grass yeah. on that pitch. <laughs> I'm sick of seeing that blue tarpaulin on the stands as well. It just looks so cheap and like nasty. And it, it, yeah, it doesn't make for nice view. from the atmosphere of, of, of what is a you know magical historic stadium. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I I hardly think that any player like imagine the commentator saying Vinicius has scored last minute. He's jumped into the tarpaulin to celebrate. Like it just doesn't quite have the same. Doesn't slap the same as jumping into the fans. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. And uh, Ibrox on Wednesday night saw Napoli beating Rangers 3-0. Napoli had three penalties in this game. I don't know if you count the that what the, the first two as two penalties, given that it was kind of the same penalty that was retaken. But mm-hmm. let's say, for argument's sake, yeah. that it was three penalties. They missed two of them and, and scored one of them. Everything's going pretty swimmingly for Napoli, isn't it, Chloe? The, the top of Serie A, they, they beat Liverpool last week. They won this game. You know, it's... Uh, not the easiest ground to go to, Ibrox. You know, Rangers aren't in great form at the moment, but it's a pretty intimidating ground. They've got Spalletti on the touchline, gesturing with his crutches. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like a madman. Yeah, yeah. Why is he on crutches, by the way? I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I've not actually heard what the reason is, but um, it, knowing Spalletti, it'll be something totally madcap <laughs> weird. Yeah. Do you think uh, this could be the year that they finally get their hands on the Scudetto? Well, it's entirely possible. I mean, since uh, Juve have kind of dropped away from that run where they had nine in a row, that it's it is up for grabs. Um, anybody could get it, and you know, it, it has been a long time for Napoli, and and they came close with Maurizio Sarri, but it it's it's difficult with Spalletti, I have to say, because he does have a real pattern of having flying starts to the season where his sides look completely unbeatable, look so good. And sort of around January, they tend to drop off. And that's a pattern wherever he's been that does seem to happen. So I would put a little asterisk against it Mm. just because I don't know what it is, but he seems to not be able to sustain initial pace from the beginning of the season with his sides um but you know it could be different this year and 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 they could carry on I mean they you can't you can't argue with how they're playing now they're 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 doing excellently well everyone who saw them play against Liverpool will know uh just how well they're playing Mm, yeah absolutely and uh Tangi and Dombele getting on the score sheet in this game how's his uh start to life at Napoli been Chloe? Yeah, um, pretty good. He's he's played uh, a couple of like forty five minutes in the league, but only sort of against lower opposition. Um, so I think he's like bedding him in slowly. Um, he's kind of fighting for uh, Anguissa is playing so well in the midfield that he's fighting for like a, the second midfield spot in the four two three one. Right. So um, he's fighting with that with 
the the player that I always want to call Sabotka, like the guy from The Wire. <laughs> <laughs> Frank Sabotka, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Labotka, um, right? The yeah. former Celta Vigo guy, the Slovenian. Yeah, 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 exactly. So he's <laughs> he's fighting with him for the for the place. I could only have Spotka in my head. Um, so yeah, I think Spalletti will kind of rotate them both. But uh, at the moment, Anguissa is too good to leave out. Do you wish him well as a Spurs fan, Matt and Dumbele? Sorry, that was Slovakian, not Slovenian. I could have I could have lit some t- touch paper there. Um, <laughs> I. Uh, I uh, yeah, you kind of do. You, I, I, the reason I want to see him succeed is not even because he's a former Spurs player, just because when he's on his game, it's brilliant to watch. He's so mm. unique. He brings something different to football as a whole that not many players can do. Um, but it would be kind of disappointing to see, for whatever reason, him absolutely smash it away from Tottenham. And then when he comes back, he's not really not really on his form. I mean, he spent the second half of last season on loan at Lyon and didn't really set anything yeah. alight there. Um, like, like Chloe said, his his start has been okay. I mean, he has been dragged off at halftime in those games, but he's obviously been bedded in slowly. And I, I saw, someone was mentioning the other day saying it'd be an absolute miracle if they get him to work out at Napoli. But he's got all yeah. the tools to. I just think mm. you know he needs a run in the team, um, and needs to really be trusted with his roles, and responsibilities. And if that changes, you know, every every other game or so, it doesn't really help him. But it's always nice to score a goal, so I'm sure he'll he'll feel a little bit more buoyed because of that. Yes, absolutely. And uh, let's finish our Champions League chat with uh, a couple of questions about uh, a couple of other Italian teams. At Juventus, they were beaten 2-1 by Benfica at home. Not in great form, are they, Chloe? Is, uh, is Allegri really starting to come under a bit of pressure there at the moment? He is, he is, because um, it's not just the results, it's the style of football that... Mm is just really it's it's sort of inexplicable at times with the players that he's got um but the problem is that Juve when they signed him back last season they put him on a four-year contract mm. so they would have to pay him between 25 and 30 million Ooh. to Bloody to sack him Jesus. so yeah so I think that's why they're hanging on and I think we will see him hang on at least for a bit longer but it it's surely going to get to the point where they're just they're going to have to because it, it I you know <laughs> it, it it is really is like that bad the way that they're playing I'm, sh- um, I'm sure he's not doing this but if that was me I'd be actively trying to get sacked I think <laughs> yeah to just go and chill out yeah. for three years on 30 million money in the bank yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, and uh, AC Milan, they got a nice 3-1 win over Dinamo Zagreb. They're looking pretty formidable at the moment. I watched them at the weekend, um, you know, winning after uh, going down to 10 men with Leal being sent off. How, how good are they? Do you think they can retain the Scudetto this season and, and, you know, maybe make a dent in the Champions League as well? I think they can. I mean, they've obviously got a much easier group than Inter who are in with Bayern and Barcelona. Um, so, you know, they, they can definitely progress to the knockout stages. I think, um, you know, a second league title, it, it, it's always hard, isn't it, to retain? But um, yeah, I just I think that they've got what it takes. That Pioli is kind of a, a very like, a slow and steady kind of coach. Mm. Is, um you won't see anything like wildly dramatic from him or anything. Um, and sometimes the odd result can disappoint. Um, but if they can keep hold of Liao, um, I mean, he was he was brilliant against Zagreb. So if they can keep hold of him, I think they've they've got every chance, really. Yeah. I thought that red card was really harsh at the weekend, personally. Yeah, yeah. Going for a, going so. for a bicycle kick and accidentally catching someone, like, 
sort of not in the spirit of the game to me that that you get it was a second yellow i think wasn't it to be fair so it wasn't a straight sorry for you though there you go yeah yeah yeah. so random (laughs) (laughs) yes uh, let's finish with a little chat about the uh, the talk of the town, which is the, the Premier League all-star game idea floated by uh, Chelsea owner Todd Bowley in an interview this week. Uh, what do you think to that idea, Mark? I'm, I must admit, I'm quite up for it, personally. I've, I know there's been a bit of uh, controversy and a bit of backlash to it, but I, I quite like the idea. I mean, it's not a terrible idea in the fact that, you know, Obviously, there's a reason why fantasy manager is so big and, you know, transfers are so big and people like the idea of players playing, you know, with different teams. How long is that Ronaldo Messi? I was going to call them Ressi there. Um, (laughs) How long, you know, that link up was talked about for years because the fans want to see it and this, that and the other. I think in practicality, it's just not something that's actually really going to take off. Um, for so many reasons. Like normally I try to weigh up the pros and the cons and think it could actually be a good game. But I'm I'm struggling to come up with any sort of pros for it. I mean, yeah, it's a little bit of a fun match, you know, for especially for um football fans abroad. Uh but you know, I think I think it's just not really it seems to be a bit more gimmicky and it might be funny once, but after a while, <laughs> you know, the the, the calendar's full. The football calendar is yeah. full. Uh, clubs aren't going to want their star players to go and get injured. It's not going to be as serious. We've already got plenty of these players playing against each other at the top of the table. You know, when Man City Liverpool play each other, the big six play each other five times a season. Uh, sorry, ten times a season. <laughs> um, there's just, I can't see which gap or hole it's filling that that is a, is a, is apparently needs to be filled. Like, what is it? What's it for? What's the purpose of it? Yeah, that's all true. I mean, I, I, Klopp made the point about the fixture congestion already, and where would you fit it in? I guess you could maybe sack off the community shield and and put this game in there and have that instead. Maybe that would be a bit more sort of wider appeal to you know all Premier League fans. I don't know. Uh, what do you reckon, Chloe, as a non Premier League fan? Is this a, a, an interesting idea or just a stupid American gimmick? <laughs> well, I I I'm not. I'm not the kind of person that would be like interested in watching that. I don't think, Mm. I think some people would be, but I think that some of the backlash against Bowley for just merely even suggesting something (laughs) different is a bit much. Like I get the idea that American sports, like you can't just transfer stuff over to our sports because like they have a four month off season period where there's, ample opportunity to put in an all-star game in there when we you know we just don't have that um but it you know I think that we we do need fresh ideas and we do need different people to not just hear the same voices all the time um and I don't think just having an idea should be just discouraged like that because um yeah, okay, maybe in this instance it doesn't work. And I think there's a, a pushback on, oh, we don't want our sports to be like American sport because it's cheesy and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. But I think some of the the slamming of him is completely over the top, mm. personally. Yeah. Another idea I saw floated was maybe having like a, a Premier League all-star team versus a Serie A all-star team versus a La Liga all-star team versus a Bundesliga all-star team, you know, a little mini tournament like that. Maybe that would be... a Quite interesting, but again, I guess it's when you would fit it in and what purpose it would serve. Yeah, maybe we're thinking a bit too practically about it. Like, 
you know, with <laughs> this and that. I, I, I guess the reason it is such an interesting thing is because it does get people thinking, like, what would that team look like? The problem I mm. have with it is that depending on what goals you would have for this game, like whether it's good marketing opportunity or making money or this, that, and the other, you'd need to have so many parameters around it that at least made it interesting for everybody. Because if you just picked on a popularity contest, you just the North would be Liverpool, City, and Cristiano Ronaldo. And the <laughs> South would just be the best from Chelsea, Spurs, and Arsenal. So it wouldn't actually yeah. be like that appealing. But then if you split it off and said, right, you have to pick one player from each of these teams... Um, the second you don't pick Salah as your designated Liverpool player, you're pretty much waving goodbye to any Liverpool fan around the world being interested <laughs> in watching it. The second you don't pick Ronaldo, it's the same thing. You don't pick Kane, you don't pick Haaland. You're immediately going to get rid of a fan base when their biggest superstar isn't in the game. So what's the point of watching? So yeah, whatever these parameters are, it would it'd be difficult. But I really agree with what Chloe said. Sometimes new ideas are needed, you know. The things aren't going to stay this way forever. Um, people always say, oh, RIP football, football died, this, that and the other. So if this is how we react to everybody who's got a new idea, then it's probably not really the, the greatest angle to take. And I also yeah, think, but- unfortunately, a lot of people are jumping on it because it seems to be very anti-American. And, you know, American mm-hmm. sports seem to be doing just fine in terms of popularity and money. So... Yeah. yeah, I've seen people saying as well, oh, it's just appealing to the FIFA ultimate team generation, you know, all the kids and all that. And it's like, well, you know, those kids are a very captive market. They're a very captive audience. They're going to be yeah. the majority of football fans at some point in the next five or 10 years. So like, why shouldn't you be sort of aiming stuff at them? I guess uh, another idea I saw that someone said, instead of having a North versus South uh, game, you could have like a little mini tournament where it's like a London, a London 11 versus a Northwest 11 versus like, I don't know, Northeast and Yorkshire, mm. uh, the Midlands. Like, I think that's getting a bit too far into the weeds, to be honest. But um, yeah. let's say if I feel it, like there'd be like riots over there. <laughs> there probably would be, wouldn't there? Be, uh, yeah, yeah. cause a lot of controversy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the geography of it's really confusing as well. Because I, I was checking this the other day. It works now. It works for this season in the Premier League. You could mm. have the three South Coast clubs join the seven London teams. Yeah. But then, like, what if, I don't know, what if Norwich come up and end up in the northern section? <laughs> yeah. Or what if there's well, too look- many from somewhere and not anywhere else? Lewis Ambrose did a piece on this yesterday where he was like, what would the teams potentially look like? And he put the Midlands in with the North and I was like, hang on, we don't want them in our team. Yeah. <laughs> that's, the, they're not, that's not the North. That's the bloody Midlands. That's where yeah, it should yeah, be. Well, yeah, so. any, anywhere, anywhere North of Watford is, uh, is North for, for people from London. So that's technically true, you're yeah. all North. I always laugh yeah, when not, you... Not for us, though. When, <laughs> you're on, when you're on the M6 and you can just see that sign that just says the North. Yeah. Like, that's it. Get out. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> this would be, be very, very complicated. Um, unless there was some sort of fun element to it, like they did a draw. Mm. I mean, like, next up is the like left-back from... Yeah. yeah. And they just yeah. have a big tombola. Well, I think they Pick it out. They vote for it in America, don't they? Because mm. um, I think in basketball, like they, there was a guy, um, I don't know his name or anything, but he was from a small, a really small nation. And like everybody got behind voting for him for the All-Star. And he, he got in, even though he wasn't like good enough to be in the team <laughs> at all. But like everybody just like jammed the vote in from, from that country. So you could get random anomalies like that if you did it. That, that would be vote. like a Newcastle player, wouldn't it, in this uh, thing? They'd all yeah. they'd all be rigging the voting or something, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All the Geordies piling in, fair play to him. 
I think that will do us for this episode anyway thank you to Matt and Chloe for joining me and thank you to everyone for listening we've got a new episode of the Serie R podcast coming on Friday Chloe is that right? It is indeed lovely stuff and then Matt and I will be back on Monday remember if you want to get in touch with any of our podcasts the best way to do so is by emailing us on podcast at onefootball.com I love you.